So let me read you Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. I know you're thinking, wait, I thought we were in Matthew 5 through 7. We are. This is actually a prophecy of what Jesus is going to preach over and over and over. But even more, it's a prophecy of the Spirit to receive what God wants to speak to you. Okay, so Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It says, the day is coming, says the Lord. When I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. The name of that covenant was the Mosaic covenant and it was delivered by Moses and you you know this whole story so when we talk about a new Moses you're going to know what he's saying here he's saying you broke the Mosaic covenant you need a new Moses 33 but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days says the Lord I will put my instructions deep within them I will write them on their hearts I will be their God and they will be my people. You know what that's a prophecy of, right? Because they had the Ten Commandments, the law, and they were written on stone. And he said, I'm going to give you a new covenant, a new Moses, and I'm going to give you a new message, and it's going to be written this time, not on tablets that you're going to have to have and carry around in a box and keep holy in a temple and guard with your life. I'm going to give you a new message, and I'm going to write it on the scribe of your heart, and I'm going to write it deep within your heart for you to carry out and for you to live. So we have the new Moses, we have the new message, and then 34, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So we have a new Moses, we have a new message, and then we have a new people. A new people cleansed from sin. A new people cleansed from their past. A new pe- or a new me, if you want to make it personal. We have a new Moses, a new message, and a new me. Cleansed, redeemed, set free from the sins and the broken covenant of my past. Let me, let me give you an illustration to kind of set up where we're headed. Who's the best, the greatest of all time? Who's the GOAT TV judge? He's a judge on television. Who's the best? Who's... Who? Who? What are you? What did you? Oh, Janice, I know you said it. Say it again. Simon Cowell. Come on, people. Like eight, recognize eight, right? Simon Cowell, the greatest judge of. And here's the thing with Simon. I don't know that I've ever disagreed with Simon's opinion, nor have I ever disagreed with how he's communicated it. I've been like, mm, yeah, I, I can get on board with that. Brother's a straight shooter. I like where he's coming from here. But he said something unique, and I think it was during Danny Gokey's season. He said, when people of faith sing worship music, there's something different about it. He said, when people of faith, he couldn't put his hand on it, he couldn't figure it out, but he said, when people of faith sing a worship song, there is something different about it. So uh, the other day I'm on YouTube and I'm watching uh, worship videos. I love to watch worship songs live. So I'm watching it on YouTube and I'm watching this worship video and there was this video that was suggested over on the side and the title of it was watch a non-Christian perform a Hillsong worship song. Okay, 
you got me. I'm interested. Clicked on it to watch it. And this guy comes on there, and you could tell right out of the gate, he's playing the acoustic guitar. He's playing the song Oceans, and his, his acoustic is incredible. He is playing out. His phrasing is unbelievable. It sounds like there's an entire band behind him. And as he's playing out, he goes into singing the song, and his vocals are unbelievable. I, I can tell you, in fact, I did. I pulled up the original and I watched the original and the girl that sings it, she's phenomenal, but this guy was lights out. The acoustic was incredible. The vocals were incredible. The sound was great, but the spirit was off. And you could tell. You could tell it meant nothing to him but music. You could tell he was more concerned about the sound. And he got the sound right, but there was no spirit behind it. And then you watch the original live version of Brooke, whatever her heart singing, whatever her name is, however you pronounce it, right? You watch the original, and she's on there, and she's singing. And it is just incredible because there is a spirit of worship behind it and that spirit gives life to the sound here's what we have to do with the sermon on the mount there is a spirit behind the sermon on the mount and we could we could do something really easy we could take matthew 5 through 7 bust it up into six different messages be done mid-july and study a section every single week and we could get the sound right but if we miss the spirit we're not going to catch what God wants to say. We're not going to catch what God wants to do right here in the center of my chest because he wants to write a new message. And he wants to write that new message in the center of your soul. And he wants to give you a new Moses who is greater than the past Moses. And he wants to make you a new you. He wants to make me a new me. And that's where we have to start with this sermon. So I've given it to you multiple times, and this will be the declaration. And, and I truly believe this. I believe when we go into a sermon season, and that's the reason we call them seasons and not series or, or anything else. We call it a season because we believe God wants to take us through a season together, and he wants to speak a word into the body that is our church. He wants to speak something into us collectively, and he wants to speak something into us individually. So we believe in this season, he has a message for us. And the declaration of this message season that we're walking through is this. Jesus is the new Moses with a new message to the new me. I'll say it again. Jesus is the new Moses with a new message to the new me. Come on, give me, give me a little pull here. I'm going I'm to go through. You say it with me. If you're online, drop this in the comments. Join us here. Jesus is the with a to the all right, now with a little life. Now you wrote it down that fourth time and you're like, okay, I'm ready. I won't mumble through it. Here we go. Jesus is the with a to the Jesus is a new Moses with a new message to the new me. You see Matthew 5 through 7, the entirety of that message, if you will see it through this lens, that Jesus is a new Moses, and he's got a new message to the new me, it will absolutely begin to transform your life. Let's start with new Moses. Okay, uh, Luke 24, verse 27 
Jesus is talking about Moses here. And he says, then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. Jesus is explaining all of the writings of Moses, the words of the prophet, and he's explaining to them how they are about who? Himself. He's saying, Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Verse 44, same chapter. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So he's saying, not only is it about me, but everything that they told you about me has to be fulfilled through me. So I am now the fulfillment of it. Let me, let me get this handled here. Cheers, Christian. <laughs> I love you. All right. Matthew 5, 17. This is part of the actual sermon, Sermon on the Mount. We'll get to this in a couple weeks. But he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. In other words... Do not lose sight of why I am here, what I am doing, and what I am fulfilling. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. The law without Jesus has no purpose. The law with Jesus is fulfilled. And everything from the law is pointing to Jesus. And when you see that Jesus is the new Moses, you see the fulfillment of it. Here, let's do this. Let's be Jews for one moment, okay? Let's be Jews. Y'all ready to be Jews? Say, I'm a Jew today. You got to grow your hair out. You got to get a good beard. You got to wear the top out. I've been to Israel. I've seen it. You, you don't look like good Jews today. You got to grow. You got to do some good things. But let's be Jews today. Okay. Here's what we are. We are on a mountainside right now with Jesus. And Jesus is beginning to speak. And as he's preparing this sermon, he welcomes you in to this prophecy of fulfillment saying, I am the new Moses. Here's where your mind goes as a Jew. You have to, come on, pull a little bit. Pull a little bit. Come on, pull a little bit with me. You have to go here with me in the mind of a Jew, okay? I'm going to give you 15 things. There's a whole lot more. I'm going to give you 15 similarities between Jesus and Moses. You Bible nerds are going to geek out on all of this. This is in your sermon notes as well, so you can have it on the app and you can have all of these. Here's 15. I'm sure there's a lot more. During the time of Moses, Pharaoh ordered a mass killing of every Hebrew baby under two years old. During the time of Jesus, King Herod did the same thing. There was infanticide going on at the exact same time. Moses came up out of Egypt to redeem his people. Jesus and his family fled to Egypt, and then he came up out of Egypt to redeem the rest of the world. Moses, catch this, this is a cool one. Moses was born without shelter, laid into a straw basket, floated down a river, and was picked up by Egyptian royalty. Jesus was born without shelter, laid into a straw-filled stable, and was visited by Herodian royalty. Remember, you're Jews right now, so you know the first one. The last one's a surprise. You're like, wait a second. They were born the same way. Wait a second. They both did come out of royalty. 
wait a second. They both were born in a, without shelter and put inside of a straw basket. Here's another one for you. Moses grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, the highest place of esteem in his culture. Jesus grew up in the synagogues of Jerusalem, the highest place of esteem in his culture. Moses and Jesus were both Hebrew Levites. Moses brought the Israelites out of slavery to Egypt. Jesus brought the Israelites and the world out of slavery to sin and death. Number seven, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God on Mount Sinai. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, is going to reinterpret the Ten Commandments right here when we get to, I think it's Matthew 6 and a little of 7. Moses carried the law and pointed to the gospel. Jesus fulfilled the law and is the gospel. The Israelites experienced 400 years of bondage in Egypt before they got to freedom. The children of Israel, the nation of Israel, experienced 400 dark years without anything from God before Jesus arrived on the scene. That's called the intertestamental period, Malachi to Matthew. Then we keep going. Number 10, Moses went through the wilderness and was doubtful to God before he began his ministry to redeem Israel. Jesus went through the the wilderness and was tempted by Satan before he began his ministry to redeem the world. Moses was royalty in Egypt, but he left the position of power to serve and save an enslaved people. Jesus was royalty in heaven. He left to do the exact same thing. Moses parted the Red Sea. Jesus calmed the Sea of Galilee. Moses chose 12 spies and sent them into the promised land. Jesus chose 12 disciples to go find out a greater and truer and better promised land that was not not geographic, but it was in our heart. Number 14. Both were used to feed thousands of people. Moses used manna. Jesus used multiplication of fishes and loaves. 15, last one. God's covenant was first given to Moses. God's covenant is finalized in Jesus. Amen. Here's what you have to catch. You're Jews. We're still Jews. We'll we'll leave that here in a minute. We'll be back in Huntsville, Texas in a second. You're sitting here and you're hearing this man preach a sermon. And he's preaching the sermon while declaring to you he is the fulfillment of everything that you have heard. All of the sudden, your mind is blowing from a place of perspective. And you're saying to yourself, my goodness, how can I deny this? How can I deny this? He is literally almost the exact same replica of childhood, birth, slavery, freedom, deliverance, all the way up to the finality, the fulfillment. Even he said himself, I didn't come to abolish it. I'm the fulfillment of it. I'm what you're looking for. Here's what happened, okay? For 800 years... The children of Israel have known Moses and Moses' teaching and Moses' prophecy and the words that Moses said and the leader that Moses was and his deliverance out of Egypt and his leadership to Mount Sinai and everything that he did in between for 800 years of lineage. All they knew was Moses. And then all of a sudden, with this sermon and Jesus arriving on the scene, he's saying everything that you thought you knew the 800 years prior is changed right now in an instant with my fulfillment of it. 
What does that mean to us? You're like, Luke, that's a really cool revelation. If I was a Jew on the seaside of Galilee listening to this right now, let's go back to Huntsville, Texas. We're no longer Jews. What does that mean to me? That means that once you understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Lord that you have been looking for, that you have been longing for, he's the satisfaction of your spirit. He is the hope of your soul. He is your future. He gives you purpose. He allows you to live greater beyond your sin, beyond your shame, beyond your failure, all of a sudden you can look back over your years. And as Romans 8, 28 says, you can see all things work together for good when we love God, when we have fallen in love with Jesus, and when we are serving Jesus. So what happened back here that hurts you, Jesus now fulfills and satisfies you. So what hurts you can now help somebody else. It's become a ministry. It's become a ministry for you now. I know people who have lived through the most tragic hurt that you can ever imagine. And you know what their greatest ministry is today? That same exact hurt. Why? Because Jesus is fulfillment. Because Jesus doesn't just go before us. He goes behind us. He fulfills 800 years worth of prophecy to the children of Israel. Not a moment in your past was wasted. Not a moment of the things that you, I wasn't even going to go here, but I think that I will. Uh, some of you know, many of you know, if you've been around here a number of years, uh, you know, my, my dad spent over half my adult life behind bars. He spent over half my adult life in prison. Uh, I was a kid growing up with a father, incarcerated, got a truck when I was 16. I remember I drove it to the county jail. I sat in line for two hours, gave him my license, walked back, picked up a phone, looked it through the glass, and talked to my dad for the first time. I hadn't seen him in years. And then he got out, and he got back in trouble, and, and he, it, was, it was this cycle all through our life. And can I tell you, that was one of the most bitter, frustrating angry, rebellious times of my life. You know, the fatherless void and the fatherless hole and everything else. And I, I could never understand it. I couldn't put my finger on it. It frustrated me. It hurt me. It annoyed me. And I loved my dad and I hated the things that he battled. And the situation that I was in made no sense. Going to father-son banquets without dad is miserable. I don't care how cool your coach is coach has to pin it on you because dad's not there. It's no fun. Seeing all your friends eating and celebrating, and then there you are, kind of like, oh, this is embarrassing. I skipped it my senior year. I didn't want to be a part of it. Letterman's banquet, great. Y'all can have it. If dad's not there to pin it on me, I don't want it. Didn't understand it. Couldn't put my finger on it. Years and years passed by. Dad passes away. Then I, I find myself ministering in Conroe. And then from Conroe, God calls us to Huntsville, Texas. And so we land in Huntsville, Texas. And when we first get here, man, ministry in, in, at Sam Houston here on campus and everywhere else, it's just exploding. It's going great. And we can't get the, the prison system to say boo to us. 
can't even talk to him. And be honest with you, there was part of me, I, I wanted to, and then I didn't want to, and then I wanted to, and I didn't want to, because I knew there was ministry there, but it just kind of hurt too bad. And I didn't feel like going into that space. And then all of a sudden, the head of chaplaincy reaches out, and he says, hey, uh, my, my daughter is in your church, and I want to I meet you, because they are on fire for God, and God's doing a great work. And we sat down, and I remember we sat there, and we had this conversation. It was so easy, and it was so clear. And then we got hooked up with a unit, and that unit invited us to come in and do a chapel and we went into that chapel and I preached and I preached to a group of men who reminded me of my father and I remember sitting at a I walked in there before and there was a Bible study happening and they were looking at me they were sizing me up with skinny jeans and sneakers on and they're like who is this kid coming in here and one of them asked me they said why are you here and I could tell it was kind of like a, what do you what do you want with us are we the zoo that you come look at us and you come see all the scary people and everything else and I looked right back at him and I said, I'm here because you remind me of my father and I want to know how my dad's life was. And he paused a little bit and we went in there and we preached the gospel and we worshiped with him and we saw God do an incredible work and I was, I was exhausted afterwards. I was emotionally exhausted. I was spiritually exhausted. I was filled up and I was worn out at the same time. And I got out to the parking lot after an incredible time worshiping with hundreds of men inside of a prison. I sat in my truck and the Lord said, this is why. This is why. Tell me I can't take a kid who's growing up without a dad who's locked up in prison and tell me I can't turn that into ministry 25 years later. Tell me I can't bring fulfillment to that. Tell me I can't bring something full circle. That only happens when you grasp a hold of the new Moses. And you see that that new Moses can fulfill, he can redeem, and he can restore what happened here. So it becomes your greatest ministry here. We have a new Moses. All right, now we got to hurry. <laughs> Good job. Good pull. Now we're where we need to be. Second, we have a new message. We have a new Moses, and now we have a new message. This is the only space we're going to touch the Sermon on the Mount today, okay? That's the one problem with this is I don't see any way we make it through the summer without being halfway through all of this. But we're, we're not one of those places that just quits halfway through, are we? So we may carry this into the fall, and we may carry it into the winter, and we'll just see where the Lord wants to go. But here, let's touch it. Matthew 4, 23 through 5, 2. Jesus traveled through the region of Galilee, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. He was preaching the message of the kingdom. He was announcing the kingdom. He was declaring the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. News about him spread as far as Syria. And people began, soon began, bringing to him all who were sick. And whatever their sickness or disease, or if they were demon-possessed or epileptic or paralyzed, he healed them all. All. Verse 25, large crowds followed him wherever he went. People from Galilee, the ten towns, Jerusalem, from all over Judea and from east of the Jordan River. 5-1, one day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him. 
Don't, don't lose the picture here because the crowds were gathering. Disciples is a word that means learner. It's not particular to the 12. So don't think he's up there with the 12. We'll go to Matthew 7, 24 through 29, and you'll see the whole crowd was with him. All right, I don't want you to lose context in your mind. One day he saw the crowds gathering. Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples gathered around him, and he began to teach them. He was teaching them the same thing he had been traveling across. In fact, a lot of scholars will say the Sermon on the Mount, although it is collected and it is put together, Matthew 5 through 7, chances are most of it was travel, speak, do miracle, travel, speak, do a work here. And it was this crowd that was building around him. So we have the crowd that's building. He's teaching them, and then he's doing ministry. He's teaching them, and he's doing ministry. And now it's collectively handled together from 5-3 all the way to 7-29. But the message, don't miss this. The message is the message of the kingdom. What is, now this is important to know too, we'll be Jews for two seconds. Jews are waiting for a earthly, material, physical kingdom. That is what they are expecting to happen. They're expecting the Messiah to arrive, overthrow Roman rule, restore the nation of Israel to prominence, and they all rule together collectively. That's their expectation. But what did Jeremiah prophesy in the very beginning? That it would be a new covenant written where? On your hearts. Within you, what is the message now of the kingdom as Jesus, the new Moses, brings the new message? Here is the message of the kingdom. Luke 17, 20 through 21. One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. The New King James gets it right. That word for among, it's intos. It means within you. It's already entered you. He said, the kingdom of God is within you. The message of the kingdom, the kingdom that you're longing for, it is already within you. I am placing, in other words, Remember, context, Jews are looking around and they're saying, where's the kingdom? Where is the kingdom? We want to see the kingdom rise up. We want to see the walls rebuilt. We want to see the nation of Israel in prominence. Where is the kingdom? And Jesus says, quit looking around. You're not going to see it. You're not going to say, hey, there it is. Because it's right here. We have a new message, and the new message of the kingdom is right here. Romans 8, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul says the same thing, Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink. That is a metaphor for physical saying the kingdom of God is not this physical thing that you are seeing rise up and you are seeing. Now, the manifestation of it will be, but he's saying the actual kingdom message is not something that you're going to eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Sounds a lot like the fruits of the Spirit, doesn't it? So the kingdom... And living the message 
of the kingdom. By the way, the Sermon on the Mount is the exact example of how we live the kingdom. But the kingdom message, inheriting the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of God, preaching the kingdom of God, and standing for a kingdom message, it is living in God's presence by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. That is the kingdom message. Why is that so important? I'm so glad that you asked. Because we need a new message. We, I, I don't know, and I'm, I'm going to step on some toes here, so just prepare yourself. I don't know that we have ever been in a time where we desperately need a new message as evangelicals, as Christians, as whatever you want to call ourselves. I don't know that we have ever needed a new message more than we need it right now. Let me, let me give you some illustration. The, Christianity is the only religion that moves. See this, right? It's the only religion that moves. Think about this for a second. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam. It stays in the geographical region within the confines of culture that it's predominantly in. Now, it sprinkles here or there. Christianity is the only religion that moves, and it moves across. It started with Jews in the Middle East. It became the faith of the Roman Empire. It went to Europe, and then from Europe, it got on a boat, and it came to the United States. And then from the United States, it branched out. And make no mistake about it today, the face of Christianity is not white evangelicalism. The face of Christianity today is Latin America. It is Asia. It is Africa. The gospel is exploding. The church is erupting in these areas. God is moving so powerfully in those areas all the while. I feel like we are losing the message right here. How do I know that? Tell them I'm busy. How do I know that? Because I know Christians who haven't preached the gospel in months, but they argue about politics daily. Have not preached Jesus in months haven't witnessed to somebody in months, but argue daily about politics. The message of the kingdom is not confined to geography. It's not confined to culture. It's bigger than that. The Holy Spirit is bigger than that. He's more powerful than that. He is able to go into a communist country and begin and rapidly multiply among people in the face of persecution because the gospel of the kingdom cannot be stopped by government. It can't be stopped by any certain ruler. It's the gospel of the kingdom. And we need a new message. Can we go a little further with this? Oh, you want to pull a little bit more? Can I tell you something? Jesus did not walk in to Israel and say, Herod is a crook. Pontius Pilate is controlled by Roman rule. We need some Jews to rise up in the Roman Senate so we can take over the empire and turn this baby into a Christian nation. Jesus did not say that. In fact, here is what Jesus said. I'm about to knock my pulpit over. You got me so fired up. Here's what Jesus said. Here was Jesus' message. 
God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn. This is Matthew 5, 3 through 12. This is where we'll be next week. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses is those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We ought to end there. Does that sound like follow me to the next protest. Does that sound like, let's go fight? No, because blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who fight for peace. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that things don't matter. Someone asked me this week. Tell them a little, little twerk by this. Hey, are you going to, are you going to talk about Fauci's emails? Someone asked me, hey, on Sunday, are you going to talk about Fauci's emails? No! No! I'm not! Because that's not the message. Listen, it matters, but it's not the message. And we have put things that matter before the message. And we're becoming known for things that matter more than the message that we should be living, we should be loving, and we should be communicating. What are we doing? We have a new message. We have a message of hope, a message of life. And he says, listen, when they persecute you, when they say evil things about you, when they lie about you, when they talk all of this about you, great. That means you're with me. Be happy about it. Be more thrilled. Persecute us all you want. We're going to grow. We're going to reach more people. We're going to spread, and we're going to move, and we're going to multiply. Why? Because the kingdom of God is not limited when it is the message by the power of the Holy Spirit within you. He gives them a new message. A new Moses, a new message, and a new me. Matthew 7, 24 through 29. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching, and oh, by the way, so this is the end of the sermon. So I teased you a little bit with the beginning, new message, it's the kingdom message. This is the ending of the sermon. This is what Jesus is saying, okay? So if I'm your new Moses and you receive this new message, you're going to be a new you. Here you go. Anyone, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry I'm late. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built 
on a bedrock. Let's be Jews for one more second. And in Galilee and on the mountainsides, the soil was so rich and it was so fertile that you could literally pick it up like sand and it would just crumble in your hands. My son the other day was jacking around around the retention pond and he kept scooting down trying to get this rock. And I kept telling him, watch out, boy, watch out, boy. And then all of a sudden he hit some sand that was there. He starts sliding down and he's doing the windmill trying to keep up, you know, and he's, he's sliding. That's how the soil was there. So when you were going to build a house, you didn't pour a concrete foundation. That wasn't possible. You found a bedrock. You found something solid, and those that didn't saw their houses drift away. So verse 26, but anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority. That's exousia. That means the ability to execute power. He's saying, man, this guy has the ability to execute the power that he is talking about. Man, I wish I wasn't so late I would wear that out. Quite unlike their teachers of religious law. Hey, i got to wrap this up, but here's what I want to throw to you, okay? We have a new Moses And that new Moses is fulfillment. And he is a greater Moses. And he's a more powerful Moses. And we have a new message. And I'm warning you right now, Matthew 5 through 7 may absolutely rock what you think the message is. You you got a taste of it today. But we have a new message. And then he promises this at the very end. If you will have the new Moses as Jesus, the Lord of your life, and you will embrace the new message that I have for you, you will be a new person. And not only will you be a new person, but you will be a new person that is immovable. You are immovable. You are unshakable. You are unstoppable. You won't waste away. You won't be knocked over. You won't be wiped out. But you will stand firm. You will stand strong. And you will represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. The kingdom message that he wants to sow on our hearts and write on our spirits. So the choice is yours choice is yours. In fact, the choice is yours all summer long. We're going to be here all summer long, and I'm going to dive into this new message, and you got one of two choices. Stand firm, fade away. Be strong, be on a bedrock, do what it says, listen to what it says, follow what it says, or stand on sand, ignore it, be frustrated and annoyed because it doesn't fit my set of ideals, walk out of here and not come back till August, and all of a sudden begin to fade away.